You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join in the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. One of the ways that you can listen to RPR is by way of our app. If you don't have it, head to the App Store on your phone and search for Real Presence Radio. Once you have it, you can listen to great daily programming like Real Presence Live. Find the daily podcasts if you happen to miss a show, reflect on the daily Mass readings, submit a prayer request, and even become a part of this family if the Lord is calling you to donate. So take a moment and download our app as we prepare to head into our next interview. And what does it mean when Jesus says he will always be with us? Helen Alvarez will offer a reflection on this and what it means in terms of our earthly relationships. And um, <laughs> She was going to be giving this talk at the Redeemed Conference, but that has been uh, rescheduled for uh, the spring of 2021, but I think the message is still current, and uh, let's get on to it. Helen, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, and I'm sorry I won't be visiting you this spring, but you know, it's uh, not possible, and I will super look forward to next spring. Well, maybe um, ne- maybe next spring, well, excuse me, we'll have a little less snow here for you. That's all right. If it wasn't snowing in Fargo, I wouldn't recognize it when I touched down. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, yes, this is a great, great question, and uh, one that um, is, is loomed very large in my life, and particularly in recent years. I read a lot of the uh, Director of uh, Communion and Liberation, Father Luigi Gisani's materials. And this is a gigantic theme with him, and I'm part of a, uh, a group that meets and talks about these. And I, one of the things that comes through most clearly to me is, you know, when Jesus says that he will be with us always, you know, we are his presence. And I know people say that to you a million times, and it goes in one ear and out the other with so many Catholics. But in fact, First of all, if you really meditate on the necessity of Jesus' presence all the time, on the, the difference in, in, in one's mind and in the world between whether you feel he's really here with us and whether you don't, and whether your kids and everyone who meets you says when they meet you, oh, I get Christ, I get what he was thinking about, I see it. Or, you know, the world is a scary place, but when I'm with you, I'm less frightened because I understand that there's hope, there's love, that Christ is present. The, the responsibility of being Christ's presence, when you actually meditate on it, goes from being a thing that goes in one ear and out the other to one of the most amazing meditations you can make every day and a gift to your children and other people. Well, I'm going to let Doreen kind of take over some of the questions here because I think uh, you've just made a real friend here because as soon as you mentioned communion and, and liberation, she really lit up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of the small group that meets Monday evenings in a lovely young family's home in Fargo. And um, yes, so I, what you're saying resonates with me. Thank you for yeah. mentioning that. Yeah. It's a beautiful theme in his work and, and an absolutely necessary theme. The discussion of the of Christ's presence and what it means to be Christ's presence. I'll tell you a, a funny story, which is that um, 
you know, every time in Luigi Cassani's writings that he refers to a piece of literature, whether it's the poetry of Charles Segui or, or the book The Betrothed, and it's mm-hmm. great Italian literature, I go read it. And I go read The Betrothed, and it's the story of um, uh, the plague in Italy, and this young priest actually gives in to pressure and treats a young couple very badly. Their lives have all kinds of terrible consequences. And then it introduced the actual historical figure of, uh, of Cardinal Barameo, who, who catches up with this young priest at the end, and he says, did you do what you're accused of doing? And he says, yes, I did. And he says to him, do you realize that if you are not too good to be true, the way Jesus was, the way he blew the, the minds of the apostles, disciples, etc., who just concluded that someone like this had to be the Christ, he said, if you're not too good to be true, no one will know that God exists. No one will believe he's still with them. And that made such an impression on me that in my one and only tattoo of my life ever, I had that tattooed oh. in Italian. <laughs> you rebel! <laughs> so I, I, it, is, it is a daily meditation for me in more ways than one. Oh, and that's so beautiful. It's, it's really, isn't it what the incarnation is? I mean, Absolutely. It didn't end and, when Jesus was ascended into heaven. <laughs> right. And, and the way it's described in, uh, I forget, I think it's a Tiffany book called, uh, I think it's the middle one, which is at the origin of the Christian claim, where he says the, the apostles look at Jesus and they go, you're kidding me. He's that brilliant. He confounds the Pharisees mm. and the Sadducees with his brilliance. And when he sees a widow who's lost her only son, he weeps. He commands nature without any great show at all. And he sits and has breakfast with us. There's no one on earth like him. There's no one that brilliant who's not arrogant. There's no one that kind who's also that powerful. What is this? And, and they become convinced by these impossible combinations of beauty and goodness. And, and this is no less than we're being asked to do, to be really out of step with, with the common mentality and to live like that. That's it's very inspiring. It's what John Paul II always said to young people. Hey, life is a drama. The Christian life is a drama. And that's why they got so excited. Mm-hmm. Because people, they don't want life to be a series of, you know, putting the, the wash into the dryer and doing the dishes. They want it to be something dramatic. And this is something that also attracts adults if mm-hmm. we're not too tired to hear it. Mm-hmm. And when we receive even the mundane as given, it it, it changes it completely because we recognize his presence in it. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it also it gives you a lot of peace and calm to understand that all is gift mm-hmm. and that your job is not controlling what you can't control, but responding in a way that makes his presence real. And, you know, this is why daily scripture reading is so absolutely necessary in addition to spiritual reading because... If you don't read about what he is doing every day, and then, you know, the Old Testament messages and then the Psalms of Praise, which prefigure this or celebrate or give it sort of a song voice, you just don't feel in touch with how he was going along, how he was living. Um, It's really, it's such a minimal thing that's required, I think, in order to be this presence. And and Helen, do you have the experience that, each time you come back to a particular scripture, it says something new to you because 
because you are new in a, in a way? It's so true. You can't just read it like you heard it in grade school and high school and at Mass on Sundays. Um, you have to be ready to receive it in a new way. And indeed, some things really stick out. There's a line, for instance, in the Gospel of John where I think it says something like, Jesus knew the human being. He knew it all too well. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. You know, I'm like, how did I never spot that before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of, every once in a while. Or you sort of fixate on the humility of his making breakfast, you know, and roasting, roasting yes, the, fish. the fish. Or on his weeping. Or something, if you're really open to receiving it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Beautiful. Jack, did you have a question? No, but I want to say uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm glad that Doreen was here to because because she certainly is able to kind of speak this language with you <laughs> as we as we were preparing for the day. Doreen said, "No, you 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 interview uh, Helen because she's an attorney and you're an attorney, so you can speak the language." But I think I'm out of my league here. <laughs> no, 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 you, you aren't. Know, it's funny. I actually find I use the insights that I receive, not only from Scripture, but also from reading uh, Father Giussani. If you actually knew his readings and you went and read my last two or three academic legal papers, you would see him. I gave talks at the UN, and someone who was working for the Permanent Observer Mission there this is some years ago, who was um, uh, uh, participating in, in communication, mm. um, came out, came up from my lunch speech and goes. Was that out of such and such a book? And I mean, I never mentioned anything. It was a, it was strictly a legal paper. It was to the UN, and he could see that my models of who is the human person, and you know, what are we required to be, and what is social justice, and and what are the requirements for people of faith, were coming out of this mentality. Just like when I write about the family, or I write about, I write a lot about non-marital pregnancy and about poor single mothers, mm-hmm. and it. There's not a word in those footnotes in a legal journal that is citing to John Paul II or to Benedict, but the framework, the how to see the human person, who we are, and thus how you have to speak to people about being a gift to another person, being a mother, being a wife, comes straight out of it. So anyone who knows certain theology or, or community liberation readings will read my materials and nod knowingly because the legal framework hangs on it. Oh, what a beautiful example of the thread of your faith woven into the fiber of really who you are in, you know, in, in, you know, in your, every aspect of your life, even into your legal work. That's, um... You know what's really funny about it, too, and this sounds very utilitarian, but you know, scholars are constantly called on to write new things. Well, there's always these fascinating insights coming out of people who really understand the human person or what's really real in the world, that God is realer than the hands in front of our face, even. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and, um, and those insights provide such a new look at things that I can contribute novel things <laughs> it, because it's... I'm beginning with, with the insights of faith. And it's the old, you know, uh, revelation illuminating reason. This is John Paul II to the max. This is Benedict mm, to the yep. max, right? Mm-hmm. They, they work together, but revelation is the thing that illuminates. And then reason, you can, you can turn it around and look at revelation and go, oh my gosh, I see how uh, the things that are happening on earth were ex- explicated in revelation's understanding of the human person. Mm-hmm. They totally work back and forth. 
my corner of it is limited. Um, just for the for the lawyer here, one of my best insights was John Paul II's theology of the person is gift, and I looked at every government program speaking to poor single mothers about don't get pregnant when you're single, and the way they were doing it, which is here's all the birth control you need here, implant this, swallow mm-hmm. this. Here, we're going to teach you to leave your community, go to a college, make money, and be separated from everybody you know and love, and be a woman on your own. I am woman, hear me roar. And every program says, there are no results of those, let's teach you about money and birth control programs. Which program succeeded? The program that took very impoverished young women and taught them how to be gifts for others. said, what do you do well? 70 hours a semester in your high school, you're going to go help somebody else. That program resulted in a reduction in non-marital pregnancy. Why? Wow. Yeah. Because they could be a gift to another. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the programs that said the goal of your life is to maximize you fail. Mm-hmm. And so without any religious references, I think I wrote the best article I ever wrote. It's on a website called Social Science Research Network, SSRN.com. Uh, the paper is called Beyond the Sex Ed Rules. Single oh, mother's it, search for communion. Beyond the sex ed rules? I'll be looking at it up. Beyond the sex ed wars. Wars. Okay, I'll be and looking it's it up. under my name, Helen Alvarez. And that was, was lock, stock, and barrel, the theology of the body, addressed to a government program. It, it, oh. it sounds like there's a lot of stealth evangelism going on in your legal writings. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... It is reason illuminated by revelation for anyone who wishes to see it. Okay, well, thank you, Helen, for uh, taking the time to visit with us today. And I'm I'm certainly uh, sure that all of our listeners, uh, those who are disappointed about the cancellation of the Redeemed Conference or its postponement, will be looking forward to hearing you in the spring of next year. Yes, thank you, Helen. thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to both of you, and I'll hope to actually see you next year. Thank you. Likewise. God bless you. Coming up next, did God literally create the world in seven days? We'll ask Father Greg Luger of the Diocese of Bismarck this question. And later, join us at 1030 Central Time as we pray a rosary live on the air for all those affected by the novel coronavirus and for an increase in hope and trust in the Lord who is our only hope. All this and much more as Real Presence Live continues. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 